Welcome back, everyone. Hello, listeners. I am Nicole Edelman, one of the of True Story. And if I may, Yvonne is in the room right now. I think this is our 51st, 52nd, 53rd episode. Very proud to be here. We are powered by the Institute of Documentary Film here in Prague. And today, 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 I have the truly amazing Kumyana Novakova. And we'll be talking today about her extremely impactful important and powerful film, Silence of Reason. So let me take a moment, if I may. It was, it got me. It got me in a in a spot. And that is because Kumyana is really highlighting a topic that I personally have thought a lot about, and that is violence against women, sexual slavery, and war crimes, and how the aggression on women has been and continues in places to be a quote-unquote spoil of war. And in this film, our filmmaker that we're talking to today really takes the lid off of that and allows us to experience it by amplifying some critical voices. And I want to just then say, we here at EDF are happy to be with you and work with you, and it is my intention to amplify your voice today. So thank you so much for being with us here at True Story. Welcome. Thank you for inviting me, for hosting me, and thank you for this introduction. It cannot be more empowering than it is. So let's start at the beginning. That's always a great place to start. What inspired you to make Silence of Reason? Many things. As you have mentioned already for yourself, these are topics that touch all of the women, I would say. When I say these topics, I mean in general, violence against women. I think we are in a moment of time when we have been starting to realize that our bodies, just by being women, are in a way archive of violences, different types of violences. And one of the ways of breaking the violence is being aware of it and starting to kind of deconstruct it and dismantle it and to uh, try to grasp also our own spaces in this respect. And my space is the geographies and historicities of the Balkans. I was born in Yugoslavia. It's a country that no longer exists. And this defines by many, many ways my my life and the way of I look at things and the way I enter in this in this world every day. And the wars that split former Yugoslavia was part of my growing up. I was a young teenage woman and I was witnessing the horrors of the war from a very specific position in a way. And following my experience, first experience in, in Sarajevo and in Bosnia, I arrived in Bosnia only five years after the war, I could not, not notice that one whole aspect of the violence that took place in the 90s was violence, sexual torture, rapes, and and I could not, not notice that it was also orchestrated and it was a weapon of war. And in a way, for many years, I was thinking from this position in a way, and probably it defined a lot of my work in different ways. 
up to the point when, you know, usually in life coincidences happen and they're never coincidences. So at one point, three years ago, I saw an open call for art projects that are dealing with archives from the Hague Tribunal. And finally, after so many years of kind of being in this topic, I had courage to maybe force myself to face it. So I received this art grant and it was the possibility to translate my thoughts and, and research in different kind of registries, both theory and kind of social research to translate it into a film project. And then the crucial point or turning point happened when within this more intensive research period during the art grant, I came across one of the testimonies of a woman who was a witness at the Foggia trial. It's witness 87, whose experience in a way for me completely shocked me, even though I knew so much about what was going on. And this was really triggering. I was thinking in so many things, but first and foremost, we didn't learn a lot from this experience and from any wartime experience across the world. And what do I mean? I mean that we didn't learn a lot in the sense that patriarchy is still the ruling game in town. And patriarchal values and patriarchal structures turn us into victims instead of survivors. And for me, thinking about the experiences and the horrors that 87 went through and yet found strength to go inside the Hack Tribunal and to literally change international law and the way we look at violence in conflict was a testimony of a survivor, and it was not a testimony of a victim. And this was the triggering point. And I guess this was the point that in a way paved further the road to what Silence of Reason became, both in terms of how it works with the archive and its cinematic form. Truly inspiring, really. And I want to take a moment to highlight that true activism that comes from speaking out, from being truth tellers and having the courage, especially because as our listeners now know, this is about serious sexual violence and enslavement. And that is still going on to this day. And to have the courage to speak up as so many women did, it is so deeply important and empowering. Those words keep coming out. Kumyana Novakova is a research-based filmmaker working also as a film curator and lecturer. Born in Yugoslavia, Kumyana's background is in social sciences. In 2006, she co-founded the Human Rights Film Festival in Sarajevo and acts as its chief curator and director. She was leading the film department of the Museum of Contemporary Arts in Skopje from 2018 to 2021. As an author, Kumyana explores the languages of cinema, researching relationships related to power, war, memories, and unbelonging. She is interested in developing strategies of creating meaning from the position of filmmaking and its potentialities as a territory of new collectivities. Her work has been shown and exhibited across the world. Her film Disturbed Earth, 
co-directed with G.C. Candy, has been shortlisted for the Academy Awards and nominated for Best Feature-Length Documentary by the Doc Alliance. Her new film, Silence of Reason, which won the Human Rights Award at the Sarajevo Film Festival in 2023, traces women's experiences of sexual violence and rape in wartime Bosnia and Herzegovina. Kumjana currently lives between Sarajevo and Skopje. For our listeners, just to give a little bit of a framework about the actual way that you made it, you speak to being a performance researcher and that you used the film as a way to frame and give voice to the disembodied voice as well as the disenfranchised voice. And there's a lot of footage from the, it feels like the 80s as well, but 80s and 90s and just images of architecture and how buildings looked, even though it's not necessarily connected immediately to the narrative that you're hearing and reading on the screen. So there's this disconnection that also is very, is the driving force of the film and takes you all the way to the end where you learn, because these were some of the questions that I had as a viewer, what, please, what is going on? And to know that there was a tribunal about the Focha rape camps and that these were testimonies from people that actively stood up and talked and shared through it all to be the voice of others who have experienced this as well. And, you know, so where are we? Can you share with us? And then one last thing, if I may, is that this all came about in 2020, not that long ago. The film is comprised only of archive, forensic archives, from the one single court case judged at the International Criminal Tribunal for Foreign Yugoslavia, the Kunarets et al. case, which is also known within the tribunal as the Forged Rape Camps trial. So... Every image that you see in the film is used as a forensic evidence by the prosecution in the trial itself. And for me, this was the first decision that was very rigorous and which was establishing the point from which I'm talking. And because I really think that we as filmmakers, documentary filmmakers, the best that we can do is to get as close as possible to the oppressed. None of us can give voice to anyone, but we can make possible that voices which are out there are translated into the public space. This is what we can do with our work, and this is how we can, in a way, subvert injustice and we can subvert oppression. So the question that I had in front of myself was how do I activate this court archive, which is organized in an extremely complex legal way, which is unreadable for any of us who are not into law, how I can translate it and how can I activate it on the screen so that it can 
become an archive of all of us, which can become a kind of a collective memory of all of us, a memory of our own survival. And the first decision was to use only forensic evidences from the prosecution. So always talking from the point of view of the victims considered by the court and survivors, in my opinion. So we speak from as close as possible to the survivors. And then the second, in a way, working question, which unfolds what happened in Foča, is to be as simple as possible in the following of the developments and the actions which were taken over the civilian population in Foča in this case, women of Foggia. So we start from just before the war, and these are the images that you mentioned that feel like the 80s. This is an evidence used by one of the survivors in which she is, in a way, defending the case that they had just a normal life. Nothing was, in a way, giving an idea that such a cruelty and violence will happen as early as only a few years after this footage was taken. So we start from the late 80s, beginning of the 90s, and then we follow the war, the start of the war, and the locations of sexual violence in Foggia. So each of the locations that we are going through is actually the journey that the prisoners, women prisoners, of the Foch rape camps were experiencing to finally stay with the survivors who were trafficked and who were sexually enslaved for many months after the dismantlement of the rape camps, who were trafficked to Montenegro, enslaved there, so to be finally escaping the imprisonment in Montenegro a few months after everyone else, four months after everyone else, which is mid-93. What is really important to mention is that with the testimonies of the women whose testimonies we are inhabiting in the film led to the conviction of Kunarats and seven other men for using rape as a weapon of war. And with this judgment, wartime rapes are considered war crimes and crimes against humanity and not anymore a simple consequence of the war. And for me, this is crucial because this is a kind of a really groundbreaking change in international law, which would have never been possible if the women witnesses did not find the strength to testify. And for every woman which has survived gender-based violence, and this makes us a lot on this planet, we know how difficult it is to face your own trauma and to really rise above it and to speak out. So for me, this is the crucial point and I would like to consider Silence of Reason as a small space where we celebrate our strength and we change things. Absolutely, Kumyana. I felt the same way. As I was watching it, it's a very intense driving movie about these traumas and then as a watcher and a listener it's where is the justice where how do we stop this how do we evolve how do we evolve past this so it is very empowering to know that that has been a life-changing 
experience. Literally, it has become a crime against humanity because how could it not be? As you're watching your film, it's plain as day. And these are also crimes against children and communities at large. You know, we have to stop hurting our women. Thank you for that. And everyone, please take a moment to watch Silence of Reason. It is that important of a film. With that, please, just for time, because we'll only have a few more minutes with our listeners today, share with me your experience working in the documentary film circuit, working with EDF, and some responses about your work, past and current. Cinema these days is not an easy space. We are going through tremendous changes, and especially after the pandemic, the field has become more and more precarious. However, I have to say that I have been really lucky to be sharing work with a lot of very open and powerful, mostly women, I have to say, both on my films as in all of the other aspects of my work. I'm also teaching in several platforms, both formal and informal, and in the also in terms of following up on films, which is where I work closely with the Institute of Documentary Film. It has been really an amazing and inspiring collaboration because it starts from the idea that by sharing, we can really give each of us the best we can. And then the result is undoubtedly good for, for everyone. I was uh, so happy to see IDF being fully on board the festival distribution of, of my work. And this is some of the most painful aspects for anyone coming, mostly the peripheral spaces of cinema, because film markets are not so established as in the West and having someone to really push for your work and voice your kind of work in different circles is really amazing. And in general, IDF has been doing this for many years and I find it at the end a feminist practice, and I'm really <laughs> proud to be to be one of the filmmakers that they're supporting. And then, yeah, in general, I think in documentary cinema, if you would like to be finding spaces like this, which are based on collaborative work and, and values of, of sharing, it's always possible. So in this way, I feel thankful, and I believe that it's a space with a lot of political potential also to change things. And therefore, yeah, I'm happy to be where I am. That's wonderful. And, you know, as I sit here next to my colleague, Yvonne, and our feminist practice, I'm just beyond grateful for my community and for that beautiful output that comes from deep sharing and courageous vulnerability, which to me is one and the same. So I really want to applaud you for that. And yeah, there, as an activist myself, if I can share a quick story, I went to Auschwitz, and as a Jewish person, it really deeply affected me. I learned a lot about my own history, my own family trauma. But more importantly, I knew about joy divisions and cell blocks that were specific for sexual enslavement, and they're, they're never mentioned in the tour. And I found that fascinating and not okay. And I spoke to our tour guide about it. And she, a female, knew exactly what I was speaking about and told me the actual cell block numbers. 
but it's not part of the general tour. So if I can inspire anyone who's listening, including the distribution of this film to also other bodies that can be of service to change this narrative for our future and for the future of all females. My last question for you today is when and where can people see your film? Do you plan any online distribution in the future? How can we see it and share it? Currently, the film is uh, traveling to several film festivals, and I hope that by the end of 2024, it will become part also of the online platforms available throughout. I do hope, though, that many of your listeners and in general, as many people as possible, will have the possibility to see it in the cinemas. I think it's important to keep theaters alive because it's also another space of sharing. It's a space where we are together. And I think we have to be struggling for getting films out there in the cinemas. Well, may this be a little boost for that to happen. I completely support that as well. We all need to literally come together and be in shared environments in healthy, communicative ways. Kumyana, I'm a fan. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for your work. I tip my hat to you. My activist heart and my activist art practice applauds you. And I just say, keep up the good fight. Your students are lucky to have you. And we really look forward to seeing you and speaking with you again. Thank you so much for being part of our community and one of our interviewees for True Story. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful day. Thank you. Bye. This was Kumyana Novakova, and you are listening to the True Story podcast. I am Nicole Edelman, one of your co-hosts, and we'll be back again with you soon. 